listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 1, book of 2 Timothy. Looking forward to continuing this series with you all this morning. Back in the fall, I had the opportunity uh, with my wife and her work to go to Israel for a few days. And uh, one of the things we got to do was tour what they call do the tour of the Rampart Ramparts Walk, which is the old wall in the old city of Jerusalem. And I've got some pictures from that I'd like to show you guys. Um, so these are from like this picture, we're kind of looking up above the actual ramparts. You can see. I don't know, he's kind of got his guitar playing here, but Jonathan uh, is, my buddy Jonathan's there in the ramparts uh, where the soldiers would have been looking out at oncoming uh, enemies. You can see there's another picture there of us kind of walking through there. This wall was built back in the 1500, 1500s, but uh, then one more picture you can see where they would have looked through and they could shoot arrows out of those little holes and hopefully not be shot back. Um, but it was kind of, it was, overwhelming to think about what it would have been like to be a soldier standing on those walls. My buddy Dustin, as we were standing in the ramparts, thanks guys, uh, he said, Brandon, how do you think you would have fared? How do you think you would have done in first century warfare, just ancient warfare? And I was like, man, I like to think that I would have been a boss, but there probably would have been a lot of screaming, like a lot of running away. Uh, just, it's it's, it's kind of intimidating to think about the hand-to-hand combat. And you're not talking... Uh, drones and tanks from long ways away. You know, you're talking sword to sword, spears, torches. It's, it's overwhelming to think the kind of boldness it would have required to hold your ground in battle like that. Yeah, I think surely there was more going on than those soldiers just saying like, I got this, I can be bold, I can do this. Surely there was more than just their commanding officers saying, all right, guys, be bold. Like, if you're just hyping yourself up, I'm not sure how far that takes you. There's got to be something deeper going on. You know, as, as Christians, we are commanded to be bold for Jesus. But we are commanded to be unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to share the gospel even when it may get awkward to live out the ethic of Jesus, even if there's some pain involved, to, to be associated with the people of God, even if it comes at a cost. We are commanded to be bold, to be unashamed. But the reality is it's a lot easier to talk about being bold than to actually be bold. Am I right? It's a lot easier to, to kind of hype ourselves up, but then when the moment comes to, to actually live in shame and to, to not be bold for Jesus. I think so often... We're actually a little bit more like Peter was in particular moments than we are like Paul when he wrote this letter. I think about Peter uh, telling Jesus, I'll never deny you. I will never deny you. And just moments later, he's denied Jesus how many times? And not just once, but three times. And he's cussing to, at this little girl trying to disassociate himself from Jesus. All too often, that is a better portrayal of who we are than of Paul when he wrote this letter to Timothy. Paul, he's in prison. He's faced hardship after hardship, all these difficulties for the cause of Christ. He's been beaten with a rod. He's had 
rock stone. I am so he's a bloody pope. He's been shipwrecked. He's lost sleep. And now he's in prison knowing he's going to die. And yet he's still being bold. You know, one of the, the overarching themes of this book is to be bold, to be unashamed for Jesus Christ. And, and that's what he's challenging Timothy to do. And, and really, it's our challenge as well. Thank God he doesn't just say, hey, hype yourself up. Go be bold. Go be unashamed. No, he tells us how to do it. How do you live an unashamed life? How do you live a bold life for Jesus? It's not just hyping yourself up. No, there's something deeper going on when you live an unashamed life. How do you do it? What's the text say? Verse eight of chapter one. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. How do you share in that suffering? What do you do as you share in that suffering? Relying on the power of God. Here's the first point I want you to see this morning. The unashamed life is an unnatural life. The unashamed life, being bold for Jesus, is an unnatural life. Living boldly for Jesus is a direct work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's the reality. No one on their own, in their own flesh, is naturally bold and unashamed for Jesus. Like, otherwise, Paul would not have to tell us, the Holy Spirit would not have to tell us to be bold if we just naturally, easily were bold for Christ. No, we drift towards being ashamed. We drift toward being embarrassed of what people might think of our faith. We, we drift toward worrying about losing status or losing comfort. It's not natural to live a bold, unashamed life. So he says, rely on the power of God. I mean, think about Timothy, even the, the first century believers who were reading this letter, they had so many things pulling on them to pull them away from living a bold life, right? Like just to be associated with Paul was to invite hardship and maybe imp imprisonment as well. Think about, like, even in America right now, we, we know that like, it's becoming less and less popular, if you will, to be a Christian, but this is still nothing compared to what these believers were facing when Paul wrote this letter. Talk about the minority. Talk about being seen as outcast and extremist. Think about the comfort that they had given up to follow Jesus. And yet Paul's saying, be, be bold, be unashamed. What are we unashamed of? He says, of the testimony about our Lord. What is that? It's the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus, of the story of Jesus. It's the one story that matters most in your life. Don't be unashamed. Be bold about this message. And he says, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. So again, Paul's recognizing he's in prison for sharing the gospel. That's why he's in prison. And yet he's still going to be bold. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. It, almost like Paul is, is inviting Timothy. He's like, hey, the water's fine. Come on in. Like, I'm suffering. This is difficult, but this is what we expected when we followed Jesus. He didn't say it'd be easy, but I'm okay because I'm relying on the power of God. 
he's pointing back to verse seven where he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Or some translations say self-control. So how can I be bold? How can I live an unashamed life? It's as I rely on the power of God. And his spirit is a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. So if I've been saved by grace through faith. Now the Holy Spirit lives in me. And yes, in my flesh, it's unnatural to be bold. I don't drift that way. But by golly, the Holy, by golly. (laughs) The Holy Spirit in me is a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. So there is supernatural power to live a bold life. I'm not dependent on me, I'm dependent on him. I ride his strength, his boldness, his power his mind. It makes me think a little bit about surfing. There's a lot of surfers out here in Lubbock. And so so I'll try to connect with you guys this morning. You know, there's nothing natural about standing on a board flat-footed and traveling at 20 to 50 miles an hour if there's no wheels involved. It's not, it's not natural. How does it happen? There's, you ride the power of the wave. Yes, it takes effort to get up and to stand there, but ultimately you're dependent on your movement, your progress coming from what you're standing on. When you seek to live a bold life, it's not about how awesome you are. No, it's what you're standing on the power of God and he moves you into boldness and strength and being unashamed. You ride the wave of his power and his strength and his might. And he leads you into places of being bold that you you maybe never even dreamed. So so how do you live a bold, unashamed life? It's not about hyping yourself up. No, it's about humbling yourself. Say, God, there's no chance of me living a bold life if I'm not standing on your power. If I'm not trusting in you to carry me. So you want to live a bold life? Ask God for help. Lord, would you help me? I I want to be bold. I I want to be unashamed. Ask him and trust him. Just like that surfer has to, at some point, trust that the wave is strong enough to carry him. So he has to pick himself up and stand up on top of that board. In the same way, we have to, when we know the Lord is calling us to be bold, Get up, lean into it, and trust that he's going to be there to carry us. And you know what? When you fall, so to speak, and make a mess of yourself and embarrass yourself, when you try to be bold, you try to be unashamed, and it, you look like a fool and you feel like a fool, or maybe you, just, you, you knew you should lean into that bold moment and you actually just totally flopped and didn't lean in at all, swim back out and know that his power, his might, his strength is like the ocean's tides. It's faithful. He's always there. There's always another shot to be bold. The unashamed life is an unnatural life. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you think you're talking about one thing, but then as they're talking and they're speaking, you have no idea what they're talking about and you're thinking, did I fall asleep when they were talking? <laughs> like, 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 when did we change the subject? Or did this person just ha- have no idea how to string together a thought in a conversation? 
If you, if you just jump into verse nine, and rightfully so, you're thinking about being unashamed, being bold, because Paul's just talked about that. At first glance, if you read it too quickly, it can seem like maybe Paul just doesn't know how to organize the thought, or why is he chasing this random rabbit? But that's not what's going on. Let's read it and see what's, what's actually happening. He says, verse nine, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He saved us. What's going on here? He's unpacking the gospel. So earlier in verse eight, he says, we're to be unashamed for the gospel. And in verse nine, we'll continue in verse 10 in just a moment, but he's unpacking what this gospel is that he's saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. We are not saved by what we do, but what Christ, excuse me, but by what Christ has done for us. We know this, it's according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, the salvation of God was made available to you before time even began. If it's dependent on what Christ has done before time began, that absolutely cancels out any possibility of you being able to save yourself. Before you were even born, God had made up his mind to make this gift of salvation available in Jesus Christ. So if you were like, man, maybe, maybe it's like, Jesus, but I also need to, be, need to be a good person. That's how I get saved. It's all Jesus. It's not according to your works. Praise God, right? Like if it was according to us, we're all in a heap of trouble. No, it's according to his purpose and grace, his purpose of making you into his own image, the image of Jesus Christ. So there, we see in this passage, there's justification that God declares us righteous in his eyes because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his grace, but there's also sanctification, that his purpose is to make us into the image of Jesus and the fact that he's called us with a holy calling. So he doesn't just save us to do whatever we want. No, he saves us, he justifies us, and then he begins the process of sanctifying us, making us into his images, image, leading us to live out this holy calling, this holy Life. It's justification, it's sanctification, but there's also, to use another theological word, there's glorification. Verse 10 says, this has now been made evident, this salvation by grace, not by what we've done, but what he's done. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whew, that's good. <laughs> He's abolished death. What does that mean? People still die. We just mentioned some, some loved ones in the church that passed away. The idea there in the Greek is the word is to render ineffective or powerless, to, to nullify. Here's the reality. Neither the devil nor our fallen nature nor death have been totally annihilated yet. But by the power of Christ, the tyranny of each of those has been broken so that if we are in Christ, we are set free. That's why Paul can say, death, where is your sting? 
I'm not afraid of death anymore because it doesn't control me. No, I'm controlled by Jesus Christ and I'm in him. Yes, I still struggle with sin. You still struggle with sin, but sin no longer has power over us because Jesus has broken the power of sin when he died on the cross. He's abolished death. And it says it's not just that he abolished death. It's that he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This picture is to flood with light. So it's like we had no concept of where to find life, where to find the light of God. And then through the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he just shines a big old flashlight, says, here's life. It's in Jesus. By grace, through faith, you are saved. And there's life. There's hope in Jesus. So glorification, one day we'll be with God forever and be perfected, perfected, no longer struggle with sin, no longer struggle with shame, no more tears, no more sorrow, will be glorified with Christ as he is ultimately glorified forever. God has saved us. So I think there's a couple things going on here. He's showing us, tying the last, uh, verse eight into this, he's showing us the same God that had the power to save you is the one who empowers you to live a bold life. If he saved you, which was a death to life miracle, he can also do the miracle of turning a timid, shy person into a bold believer. We often use the excuse of, well, it's not really my personality to be bold. No, he's showing us, it's not about your personality. It's about the person of the Holy Spirit in you to be unashamed. But I think there's more going on on with verses nine and 10. Like, why would he go on this massive unpacking of the gospel right here in the middle of talking about being unashamed and and calling Timothy to be bold? It's because of this. You'll live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful. It's our second point. You'll live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful. I think that's why Paul is taking the time to, to talk about the majesty, the awe, the wonder, the beauty of the gospel is because you'll live with passion for what you know to be precious. So he's saying, look at the gospel. I love what David Platt says. He says, religious people find God useful, but cross-bearing disciples find him beautiful. You can endure suffering when you see what Paul saw. Do you see the gospel as beautiful? You'll live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful. I remember the the first time I I met my wife, Lauren, our friends have been trying to uh, connect us, get us hooked up for a while, and finally went on a double date. And uh, we we, uh, quickly hit it off. And uh, so... In a matter of like five days, I think went on three dates before I was going to camp and uh, to work in South Carolina. But at that third and final date before I left for camp, we're at this restaurant. I still remember it very clearly in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, downtown by the river. Duval. Anyways, <laughs> and Jaguars fans in here? Didn't think so. We're sitting by the river and having dinner. And Lauren says, she kind of pauses. I can tell what she's going to say is not like, Give me something I love necessarily, but she says, "Hey, I feel like I, I need to tell you. Um, I, I have been like we, again. We just met, gone a couple of days, but she said I, I, I have been 
talking to uh, this other guy for a couple of months now. We've gone on a few dates. And I just want you to, to know that. Which I just responded. This was normally would not be my response. Like, I don't know that at that time in my life how bold of a guy I was, but I just said, okay. All right. I was so enthralled by who she was inside and out that I was like, I don't care who this chump is. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to pursue this girl. Now, there, there, a couple of things. By the way, Lauren, I think, found herself in that predicament because she had a philosophy in college that if a guy wants to take her on a date, why not get a free meal? <laughs> and so <laughs> she's laughing. Don't worry, I'm not in trouble. So two, two, thought, two takeaways there. One, Lauren probably won't be in charge of dating etiquette for the Hayes children. <laughs> if you're worried, if you, don't worry, if you know my wife, she's laughing. She's not, she's not mad. <laughs> I love it when I tell a story on Lauren after the service, people are like, bro, you're going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> but the main takeaway I want you to know is this. When, when she told me about this guy she had kind of been talking to and I was going to have some competition, I didn't respond boldly. I didn't in my mind respond boldly like, hey, I don't care. Not because of like, well, you know, like Lauren hadn't seen my calves yet, but when she sees my calves, like, like. <laughs> Or like, you know, she doesn't she know I got, I got game. Like, no, I, it, it, I was in no way thinking of me. I was just like, man, Lauren's beautiful inside out. She's a godly woman who, man, we are connected so well. She loves Jesus. She has a passion for Jesus. Uh, she was so beautiful. I didn't really care what was in my way. You'll live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful. You know, we, we do have to sometimes kind of push ourselves to be unashamed, to be bold for Jesus. But the reality is when you see Jesus as more precious than anything, you will talk about him and no one will have to force you to because you'll see him as, as, as beautiful. So if you want to be bold, you want to live an unashamed life, immerse yourself in the beauty of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? Read the Bible. Ref reflect on what God is teaching you. Get with other believers and, and talk with them about how amazing Jesus is. Here's the fact. You're not going to talk to unbelievers about Jesus if you can't talk to believers about Jesus. Man, talk to them about what he's doing in your life and how beautiful and powerful and majestic he is. You're not gonna live boldly for something you've not experienced deeply yourself. I would say shaming yourself for being unashamed, excuse me, shaming yourself for not being unashamed won't, live, won't lead you to be bold either. No, instead, fix your eyes on the one who bore your shame on the cross and that will lead you to be bold. The unashamed life is an unnatural life. You live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful. Third point we're going to see from the text, and we'll finish here, is this. It's hard for fear to control you if you know who holds you. It's hard for fear to control you if you know who holds you. It says in verse 11, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So just 
for some clarity here, there's, there's two different ways you can translate the end of verse 12. And the Greek honestly is, is um, not real clear there. And, and some scholars even say maybe Paul was implying both ways. I, I, think, uh, I think the CSB leans, uh, to me, the, the wrong way here. I think a better translation is the idea that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. Now, either way you translate it, it's a biblical idea. It's not wrong, uh, certainly. But I think because of the context and what Paul is going to talk about to Timothy later, I think here what Paul is saying is I'm certain that God can take care of me. I've entrusted my life to him, and I'm certain he can guard it until that day. What is until that day? Until the day of Christ. So until eternity, until I'm with him in heaven, God has the ability, Jesus has the ability to protect my life. I've, I've surrendered my all to him. I've given my all to him. I've, I've put all my eggs in this basket. He's able to guard it and I can trust him with it. Where it says, I have believed. This is in the perfect tense. And so the idea is that I have at a point in time believed in Jesus, placed my faith and trust in Jesus but it's an ongoing belief. That's, that's the Christian life, right? You have, there is, that's what salvation is. You come to a point where you believe in Jesus, put your faith and trust in him and nothing else. But then it's a continual belief that like, it's not like, well, I believe and I don't care. No, it's I believed and every day I'm choosing to believe and trust that what I've given to him, which is my all, he's not gonna let down. You know, this is, this is something that makes, this is a distinctive factor of Christianity that we know that we're going to get to eternity and we won't be let down by Jesus. I, I, Lauren and I have some friends who are of a different faith and they, they don't have that certainty. They're, they're Muslims and they believe that they're going to do the best they can. Hopefully they're good, we're out, we'll outweigh their bad. And then when they get to eternity, it's really up to Allah to decide. Praise God, we can be certain of heaven, certain of eternity, not because of who we are, but because Jesus holds us in his hands. And that's where boldness comes from. That even in the face of death, Paul was facing death. And yet he says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. He said, I know Jesus and he's got this. I'm persuaded he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. And, and that word guard, it's to protect it, even in a physical altercation. Like, so Jesus is kind of like, hey, don't try me. <laughs> and don't try my son. Don't try my daughter because I will protect them. You can't get yourself and no one else can get you out of the grasp of Jesus because he's like a bouncer. He ain't let nobody in. <laughs> he's got you. You can trust him. It's hard for fear to control you if you know who holds you. One time I was, uh, we were on a family vacation with my parents and my sisters and their families. And uh, we were walking past this, this fake dinosaur. It was like 10, 10 feet tall. It was this little fake plastic dinosaur. But my, at the time, he was about three years old. My nephew, Andrew, he was scared to death of this dinosaur that didn't want to go past it, uh, kept, kept getting scared. So finally, his, his dad Chris, who's like 6'6", just beast of a man, about my size, <laughs> picks, up, picks up Andrew and walks over to this dinosaur and starts talking smack to the dinosaur. 
and starts kind of growling at it. And before you know it, Andrew, while he's in his father's arms, is kind of growling at the dinosaur too, starts laughing, and they walk past it. When you're in your father's arms, fear doesn't control you. It's interesting how often we're afraid of things that aren't even real. How many times we know we should be bold, we should be unashamed for Jesus, but we're like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And your fears, most of the time of being unashamed, aren't even real. Well, if I share my faith at school, if I share my faith, uh, if I go to a prison and share my faith, or if I'm, if I'm at work and I live out my faith, I'm gonna lose all my friends, I'm gonna lose my job. Most of the time, right now in Lubbock, Texas, that's not even true. That's a lie from the enemy to keep your mouth shut. But if you know God is holding you, what have you to be afraid of? Jesus, the king of the universe, he holds it all in his hands. He's got you. What have you to fear? It makes me think, I'm gonna close with this. It makes me think of what Paul said in Romans chapter eight. You're welcome to read it with me. When we think about, well, what happens if, 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 I, if I am bold and I am unashamed and, and I begin to, maybe I, I face difficulty, or I could even lose my life, makes me think of Romans 8. Okay, what if things are the worst possible scenario? What if it goes as bad as it possibly could? Romans 8, verse 28. Paul says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? The idea is, who could be against us? What does it matter who's against us if God is for us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's hard for fear to control you if you know who holds you. You've heard me share often about John G. Patton, the missionary to the New Hebrew, who over and over again faced death. They, they were cannibals. They over and over again tried to kill him. I told you a story recently about the time they surrounded his house and were going to kill him. And he came out and was like, you guys are so rude. And they, they decided not to kill him in that moment. And he writes of a moment that happened just a few days later. He says, but my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life, however calmed or baffled for the moment. Within a few days of the natives gathering in large numbers to surround my house and kill me, a man furiously rushed on me with his ax. 
But one of the chiefs snatched a spade with which I've been working and dexterously defended me from instant death. Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet with my trembling hand clasped in the one that once was nailed on Calvary and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. When you walk in to a situation where you know the Lord's calling you to be bold, to be unashamed, you clasp the hand that was once nailed to the cross and now holds the scepter of the universe. Friend, the unashamed life is an unnatural life, but God's power is in you because of the Holy Spirit. You'll live boldly for what you believe to be beautiful, and these pages are filled with the beauty of the gospel. It's hard for fear to control you if you know who holds you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 